You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. We are kicking off 2022 talking about climate change with Dr. Nilu Tumala. Yes, indeed. Climate change is not a new topic on this podcast. We actually covered it in episode 41 with Kenneth Mendez, who's the president and CEO of Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, also known as AFA. With Kenny, we discussed air quality, pollen season, and COVID-19 with asthma. So if you want to know a little bit more about those topics, go and listen to it. That's episode 41. Today, we are actually taking a broader look at the impact of climate change on your overall health. And by overall health, we mean both your physical health and your mental health. We also discuss what action you can take to make a positive impact on climate change, from plant-based diets, don't worry my carnivore friends, we have some wiggle room for you, to subjects like recycling and flight shaming. Dr. Tumala is a board-certified physician and surgeon. She's a writer and a climate advocate who has a special interest in education and advocacy concerning the health effects of climate change and environmental injustice. We are happy and honored to have her with us today to take a deep dive into this hot button issue. So let's get into it. Hi, everyone. So today we're talking about a topic that we think needs to be touched on again. We have previously talked a little bit about climate change, how it affects people with allergies and asthma. But today we wanted to take a deeper dive and talk to Dr. Nilu Tamala about, you know, the general effects of climate change, indoor and outdoor, and also how it affects our health. But then most importantly, what can each one of us do? to change what's happening and to make a difference in and the changes that are taking place because of all of us and the governmental policies that are in place. So without further ado, I would love for Dr. Nilu to just help us understand the effects of climate change on our health. Thanks, Pyle. Thanks, Courtney. It's great to be here. And I really appreciate us talking about this really important topic, especially coming off the heels of COP26. So climate change is considered one of the greatest global public health threats. And there are multiple reasons for why climate change is considered such a large public health threat. And a part of it is that it really impacts almost every single part of human health. And so, you know, you can start from the top and just think about the mental health concerns of climate change. And this includes increased risk of post-traumatic stress disorder from those who are living through intensified wildfire seasons and hurricanes and tornadoes. Um, It also includes an increased risk of depression and anxiety in the face of higher global temperatures. And then as we work our way down the body, again, I'm just going to highlight a few of the impacts, but it really is quite impressive how many different aspects of the body that global warming is impacting. And just to give, take a step back and give a quick background, so far, as compared to pre-industrial times, the global climate has warmed approximately 1.1 degrees Celsius. And one of the big components of sort of all of these conferences and legislation is we're trying to limit 
this warming definitely below two degrees Celsius, but hopefully, if possible, below 1.5 degrees Celsius. This rise in global temperatures has also been linked to an increased risk of heart disease, heart attacks, increased thermal stress. It has been linked to an increased risk of spread of infectious diseases. So as temperatures rise and precipitation patterns change, we're finding that vector-borne diseases are able to thrive in new environments, and that's causing a spread of certain diseases. Here in North America, we're seeing a northward rise of Lyme disease kind of going into northern states and into Canada. Climate change is also linked to an increased risk of kidney failure. And so this is a huge issue for outdoor workers, especially during the summers with the really increased temperature extremes. You know, the last 10 years was the hottest decade on record. And it seems like each year we're hitting more record global temperatures of heat extremes. And so you have all of these outdoor workers who have very little protection from the elements in terms of appropriate shade, appropriate water breaks, and they're out there for, for hours at a time, and they have an increased risk of dehydration, heat stress, and kidney failure. So one of the things that I'm really concerned about as an ENT physician is the lengthening of pollen allergy seasons. So a study that was published last year in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences showed that in North America, the pollen allergy season has lengthened by about 20 days as compared to 30 years ago. And the amount of pollen in the air has increased by about 21%. And climate change is one of the largest drivers of these changes. And again, that's due to the increase in global temperature rise, which is allowing plants and trees and stuff to, to grow for a longer period of time. And then also the increased CO2 in the atmosphere that's allowing uh, more pollen to grow. Great. Thank you for that overview. Yeah, we had touched on the pollen aspect because, you know, we're mostly focused on allergies and asthma with our podcast. And it is so important. And I personally see it in my practice every year. People literally come in and say, my allergies are just getting worse every year. And they're absolutely correct because we know our seasons are getting longer. We know our pollen counts are getting higher. And we know that's leading to the symptomatic change that people are feeling. And so, I absolutely agree with you. I see that all the time in my practice and it's alarming. And it's, you know, just really scary to hear about all of the changes, like from mental health to the kidneys to, you know, just people that have to work in these extreme conditions. And it's very disturbing. And the second part of what we really wanted to discuss with you is how can we make a difference? How can we as individuals, because it kind of just feels overwhelming, I think, to people. And it feels like there is no way to change the outcomes that we're seeing and that we're just going to kind of have to live with it and deal with it. And so I'm wondering, can you just help us understand measures that we can take on a daily basis or things that we could do to help change legislation that makes a difference? Yeah, great question, Kyle. So I just want to quickly touch on one thing that you had mentioned about, you know, when I talked about outdoor workers and those being a vulnerable population, um, is that one of the issues with climate change is that it really disproportionately impacts those who are most vulnerable. And so, you know, when I think about me as a physician and why I speak up about this, it is definitely because, you know, patients that I see on a day-to-day -day basis are impacted by climate change, but also it is that there's so much inequity rooted in those who are exposed to climate change and to air pollution and sort of the health impacts that they experience from it. And it is oftentimes the outdoor workers, it's the you know, those living in low-income communities who are most susceptible to the impacts of extreme heat, who are susceptible to being exposed to worsening air pollution. 
And so it's for them that we that we speak out. And so this is actually a pretty exciting time to be talking about, you know, legislative and advocacy work because, you know, there's a lot going on. Again, we're, you know, just coming off of COP26. And here in the US, you know, we recently passed the infrastructure bill. And, you know, I think that when people think about infrastructure, they don't really think necessarily about climate change. But I just want to highlight a few reasons why it's important from a climate change mentality to be aware of legislation that's going on. So, you know, one of the big components of the infrastructure bill is improving infrastructure. And so that includes improving transit, investing in public transportation, improving highways. Highways and roadway traffic is a huge contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and air pollution. So by investing, improving infrastructure, that's how we improve air quality and that's how we drive down greenhouse gas emissions. Because at least in the US, the transportation sector is one of the largest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. So really what we need to do is get less cars and and buses and trucks off the road. And we can do that by improving transit across the nation. You know, another piece of legislation that the House is considering is the Build Back Better Act. And so that again has a lot of really important legislation related to climate change. It aims at improving energy efficiency in homes. It invests in um, rural farmers to improve their energy efficiency. It provides support for low-income communities to deal with climate change and adapt to it. It provides tax credits for clean energy. And so all of these things are sort of part of a larger conversation for how we can address climate change and how we can improve air quality, which ultimately by decreasing heat warming emissions and improving air quality, that's how we protect the health of our patients. So that's sort of what we're thinking about on a national scale. And then just from like an individual standpoint, the way that I think about how I can be an advocate for my patients, and again, especially those who are the ones most impacted, it's to get involved in any way possible. And so there have been, you know, a lot of really important climate legislation happens at the local and state level. And there's actually a ton of really great state advocacy groups that are acting on climate change. So I'm a, a part of one called the Virginia Clinicians for Climate Action, but they have these sort of same state groups in honestly in a ton of states across the US. There's one in Georgia, Ohio, North Carolina, California, Florida. Um, and so it's pretty easy to find um, these state groups and to be among like-minded individuals. And each of them varies a little bit in terms of how much they're acting at a local level, state level, or national level. But the whole point is that a lot of these groups are recognizing that improving air quality and driving down heat warming emissions happens with policy change. And so that's why clinicians are getting involved with this. Another thing that's really important and that each of us can do on an individual level is going back to our own you know, medical centers and hospitals or um, communities and talking about climate change. So this is something that Catherine Hayhoe wrote a whole book about. Um, she's a, a really prominent climate scientist. But you know, the more that we talk about it, the more that you know, others will understand why it is so important to really push forward climate action. And so if you are a clinician, one way you could do this is try to set up a meeting with your hospital leadership to talk about how can we improve sustainability in the hospital or how are our patients impacted by climate change. You can also ask to host a grand round session on this. And if you don't feel like you know a lot about climate change and health, that's okay. There's actually a ton of resources. Even if you just go to the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, their website has a lot of PowerPoints that you can use as examples for giving a baseline education level on how climate change impacts health. 
And then again, you can talk to your patients, you can talk to your colleagues, and those who are impacted by climate change, tell people your story, let others know how the environment you're living in is impacting your health. If you live near a highway and you feel like the air quality is making your asthma worse, this is a huge health concern and others need to know about it. And so the more that we're talking about it, the more that'll raise awareness and the more that can incentivize climate action. And then just finally, from a personal protection standpoint, if you are someone who is really impacted by allergens and you have asthma and you're concerned about air quality, what I tell every patient is to one, talk to your clinician about it because the timing of your medications and the dosing of your medications may need to be adjusted depending on the environment that you live in. And then also you can, you know, protect yourself by checking your air quality levels. Um, It's pretty easy to do this, looking at the air quality index online and see like, what does the air quality look like? And um, and then also check pollen counts outside. I will say, you know, I don't think the answer to air pollution and asthma is not going outdoors. We need to clean up the environment so that kids can play outdoors so that we can be outdoors. But it is important just from a self-protection standpoint. To, to be aware of sort of the environment that you may be entering when you go outdoors and preparing for that as able. That was a lot that people can do. So I think we'll definitely include some links in our show notes so that people can see what legislations, if you want to read up more about the legislations you talked about, also some of the organizations that physicians can look into joining. In terms of patients, I'm not sure if you work enough with patients on this level, but what could I do? to also make an impact. So I don't think I can go in and post a grand rounds, but what else do you think I could do within my community? That's that's something tangible that I can do now. You know, I think that some people wanna take a stance, they wanna do something, but everything feels too big to do. But what's something that's attainable that I could do this week? Great question. And one of the problems with climate change is it feels like such a huge issue. It's hard to know even where to start, but action adds up. Right. So the more of us that are talking about it and and acting on it, that's when we really galvanize this sort of like momentum that's going to push forward again, whether it's change at a community level, state level, national, international level. So considering that, what I think would be the most valuable from a patient perspective is to share your story. And I know that doesn't sound like something that's going to impact legislation. But knowing how climate change impacts the here and now is really valuable because it is. There are, you know, people across the world who are being impacted by climate change on a daily basis. And one of the issues, especially, you know, here in the U.S. is feeling like climate change is still a far off threat, but it's not. It's here and it's now. And so talking about how even just having to check air pollution levels every day or having to to check pollen counts. Like those are things that, you know, we want to be able to go outdoors and feel safe and healthy in the environment that we live and play in and not having that luxury because, you know, you may have, you know, really bad allergies or you have underlying heart disease or asthma, any sort of comorbidities that makes you more susceptible to environmental hazards is really important. So I would say sharing your story and it's, it's pretty easy to also get involved with environmental organizations that are, again, acting on like a, a local and state level. And I think that, you know, supporting their work and, um, you know, it's a little bit obviously different right now with COVID, but there's a lot of community organizing that happens around improving legislation. For example, if you get involved with your community organizing and you find out that there is going to be a new polluting facility that's going to be built in your community. So, you know, recognizing that that is a health hazard and sort of speaking up for the health concerns of that 
is really impactful and can definitely make a difference in terms of, you know, people not thinking about things with one lens and leaving health out of the conversation. What I think I've taken away so far from this conversation is how much climate change actually impacts us as individuals and on our actual health. Uh, when I think of climate change, a lot of times I just think of the environments like trees and the polar ice caps melting, but I never think about how it's impacting me and how it's impacting my neighbor and how it's impacting my family members and how our health is really on the line here. And I know that that's taking a more individual look at climate change versus the complete and entire planet, which is in one way easier to talk about climate change and, you know, drive home how important it is for us to all have this on our radar. And I know that here in Germany, if you guys don't know, I live in Germany. I feel like we've talked about that before, but I live here, I live in Germany. And here, climate change is top of mind. You know, in my neighborhood, you can see it all over the place. Fridays for Future was really, really big here in the city of Berlin. So here you can see that on an individual basis, climate change is something that people take very seriously. And they have really intense recycling. And we have things like flight shaming where people, you know, they feel ashamed to say that they're flying somewhere or where people have taken a stance to never fly again. And we can see that there's all of this individual action. I want to know and I'm curious about how much impact does an individual have versus how much impact a government or a large business would have? That's a great question, Courtney. You know, in general, I'm not a huge fan of the whole shaming idea because I feel like that puts a lot of onus on the individual as if we ourselves are the problem. Whereas 71% of global emissions are emitted by just 100 companies. And so those are, you know, the companies and the corporations that we really need to be targeting. And it's legislative change that needs to happen to really restrict the emissions and air plumes from these companies. That all being said, I will always condone individual actions in terms of things that are going to decrease the amount of pollution and decrease you know, our own emissions. And so whether that's switching to LED lights in your home, switching to a more plant-based diet. And I just wanna pause here because I think people you know, freak out when you tell them not to eat meat. And the way that I sort of think about this is cutting down on meat can have a really substantial impact on your own personal carbon footprint. And so no one's asking you to go completely vegan, um, or at least I'm not asking you to go completely vegan, but I am asking you to consider maybe only eating meat one or two times a week if you normally eat it four or, four, four or five times, or even cutting down further to one or two times a month if you're someone who enjoys a plant-based diet as well. I just wanted to stop you real quick because I think that that topic is so interesting. And I do think that it makes people very angry when you tell them not to eat their red meat. And so can you just specifically tell us exactly how eating red meat affects climate change? The way that I think it is best to approach this topic with those who eat a lot of red meat and enjoy a lot of red meat is to ask people to cut down, you know, there are a few things in life that people tend to enjoy a lot. And if you are someone who loves red meat, then just try cutting down because that can have a, a huge impact. And the reason for that is that cattle are the number one agricultural source of greenhouse gases. Cattle are the number one agricultural source of heat warming emissions worldwide. And each year, a single cow will belch about 220 pounds of methane. And so methane from cattle is basically a potent heat warming emission that is shorter lived than carbon dioxide, but much more potent, um, approximately 28 times more potent in terms of it being a heat trapping emission. 
And so a part of this is just trying to cut down on the amount of cattle because, you know, the methane that they're belching is contributing to global warming. We're mentioning red meat. What about other meats? So if you're someone who doesn't think a meal is complete without a piece of protein that comes from an animal, what about other meats? Should they be cutting down on those as much? Is there one that's better than the others? Can you just describe that? Because I know that red meat is one thing, but we don't really talk about like chicken or a lamb or goose or venison. Yeah. So most studies that have looked at the impact of a plant-based diet have shown it more in terms of cutting back on red meat, but then also going more to plant-based alternatives. And so the problem with any sort of meat source is also that raising, whether you're raising chicken or, or lamb, it requires a lot of resources and it requires a lot of land use. There's a lot of water utilization. So a lot of this is just based on how much this industry demands from a resources standpoint. And so considering those requirements, that's why moving more towards a plant-based diet is uh, more beneficial for the environment. But in general, red meat does tend to be the one that is most impactful. So cutting down on that is going to be the most helpful. Okay, that was great, Nilu. Thank you so much for explaining that. I think it's super important for people to understand that concept. And now what I'd like to hear about is recycling because I have mixed feelings about recycling because I hear so many things about it. And so I just want to hear your point of view on how recycling can and cannot make a difference. You know, this is a really challenging topic because so much plastic is being produced and plastics are made from fossil fuels. You know, so the issue is just one, the generation of plastic itself or the production of plastic, but then also plastic waste. And so in the U.S., only about 9% of recycled plastic is actually recycled and reused, which is a devastating number, right? So that means 90% of plastic is ending up in landfills, it's ending up in our oceans, and our oceans are literally drowning in plastic. So you've read reports about fish you know, ingesting plastic that's like dissolved in, in the ocean and, and then we're ingesting those fish, you know, so it's just this vicious cycle. Again, the way that I think about this is it's not the onus um, on the individual, but anything you, recycling is never wrong, right? You always want to recycle, but you don't want to depend on recycling as being the answer to climate change. You want to avoid buying things that are going to increase, increase your own waste. And so, you know, Pyle, we were talking about this earlier about taking your own bags to the grocery store. Just doing things that are going to eliminate waste in any way, again, is, is always only going to be helpful. And so you can think about switching to LED lights. You can, if you're able to take Amtrak instead of flying. But again, I want to say that all of these actions are really important and they're helpful. But what we really need to do is address climate change at a corporate level, at a government level. And that's where individual action can become even more impactful by really pushing for change at these larger scale levels. Thank you so much for all of those. I feel like this is becoming a little bit more of a, a tangible subject for people because it is such a big topic and there are small ways that we can make an impact, even though we do also need big companies to make a larger impact. Is there any takeaway that you would like to leave our audience with? Any final words and anything that we didn't ask that you might want to let people know about before we end today? The way that I think about climate change, it's an all hands on deck approach, right? So the individual actions matter, the large scale actions matter, everything matters because this is such a large issue. And because this is affecting us here, it's affecting our neighbors, it's affecting our friends and family around the globe. And so that's why it's so important to act on this. 
And I would just like to highlight, Courtney and Pyle, even both of you having this podcast today on climate change is climate action, right? Because you're raising awareness, you're talking about it, you're educating others. Every little thing that we do matters. And so it's really important to highlight that no action is small enough. And it's all about you know raising awareness and galvanizing action in any way possible. So I would like to thank you both for inviting me to, to talk about this topic because it is so important. And, and what you're doing here is incredibly important. And then just end on a note, Courtney, you had mentioned that the face of climate change is changing. And that's exactly how we need to think about this. I care a lot about the polar bears and I care a lot about glaciers melting, but those aren't the specific faces of the climate crisis anymore. It's now the faces of my patients. It's the faces of my neighbors. It's the faces of children in New Delhi who weren't able to go to school because air pollution levels were too high. Each of those faces is what really sort of motivates me to do the work that I do in terms of pushing forward on, um, on climate action and, um, and air pollution. And I'll, I'll just say one last thing that I think that a lot of this can feel really overwhelming and mentally stressful. And the way that I have, I guess my own coping strategy is to act on it. Anytime we're feeling kind of crummy, you go for a run and you feel better, right? You're doing something about something. And so that's really how I feel about climate change is it can feel very overwhelming, but every little action that you take is a movement in the right direction. And so the best way to sort of combat the climate scaries is to, to do something about it. And um, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about action on an individual level. I'm always happy to chat about it. But really what we need is, is people sort of talking about this, getting involved with advocacy work, having educational sessions, talking to your friends and neighbors, and really pushing forward the climate conversation. Thanks again. And yeah, we appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. And maybe there's something that we can do together in the future. So thanks again, Nilu, for being on our podcast and for sharing all of your really important information. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.